0: This is the Brew to Brewer podcast from All About Beer, a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media, and to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Chris Johnson of Green Bench Brewing, and this week I am very glad to be talking with my friend Ashley Carter of Beer Lagerhouse. Lager House. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, but first, this message.
1: First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection. So you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.f-i-r-s-d-t-e-a.com.
2: Hey, Ashley, how you doing? Good, how are you? It's so good to see you. I kind of wish good. I was there in Florida, but, you know, I'm here, so.
0: I know, you guys have, like, although I was going to say it's hot here, you guys are, like, going through, like, a heat wave, right? It's, like, crazy there.
2: Dude, it's banana pants. Like, it is so hot. It's, like, 92. It's not, okay. you know, humid, like, where you are, but... Like when I'm brewing, it is insanely hot. You, like the whole upstairs of our of our tasting room is like a sweat box,
0: yeah, brutal. Uh, we um it's pretty warm here, too, though. I mean, I think we have today is supposed to be like the hottest of like the last couple of weeks, I think. So I think by like three or four p m today, it's supposed to be like ninety four degrees here. Um, and of course, our humidity is just like crazy high. So it's like it's pretty painful to be outside. If you're outside between like eleven a m and four p m, you better have a really good reason. It's like how I feel. No reason. (laughs) Um, So, Ashley, you and I have known each other, obviously, for several years now. And um, over that time, I have become friends, especially as I just sort of glommed onto you and uh, just tried to learn as much as I possibly could from you. Um, In your time as a brewer, uh, I was kind of curious, kind of similar to you, um, I, I... really grew up in the Tampa Bay beer scene. I didn't really brew anywhere else. I don't really, I've never worked anywhere else in the uh, brewing world. And so I'm, I'm, you know, somewhat isolated by that, that area. Um, and I, I am familiar with it and I've seen it grow and change. And I've sort of adapted with it too. I'm kind of curious of uh, you being in the Denver area, kind of growing up there and then cutting your chops as a brewer and then opening a brewery there. Um, how have you seen not just yourself evolve sort of as a brewer, but also Denver and the area at large, like how has that evolved over the time that you've been a brewer?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, an interesting question and, you know, I think Denver is a little bit different than maybe even where you are because we have so much influence from the outside, just having GABF here every single year, you know, Um, it was kind of funny when we were first starting to, you know, work on this brewery, we kind of figured we would end up being here. Uh, I'm very close with my family, and uh, being close to them and staying close to them physically is really important to me. Um, But I've seen the Denver beer scene; it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. Sometimes I'm actually like, I think it's a great place, and I think it's amazing that we have a bunch of different kinds of styles of beer here. Like we don't, you know, necessarily have one thing that we're known for. You know, like I feel like down where you're at, sometimes it kind of gets lost in the. You know, huge stouts with I don't I don't even know how you drink that in that weather. <laughs> it, well, my mind I don't, blown. But... My, yes, you don't. Know. My <laughs> mind was blown when I went to Angry Chair. Like I was, I was, oh my God. Uh that's a whole other thing. Um, or you know, like Florida Vice, like we don't necessarily have like a, a single trend that necessarily dominates because there's so many different breweries, right? And we have a bunch of breweries that actually specialize in things. Uh the thing that I'm always constantly surprised by, you know, I started my brewing career here. 11 years ago now as a professional brewer um is honestly I find that our uh people who drink the beer um our consumers are actually not that educated comparatively um I'm not sure how that is with you guys there you know being kind of a younger newer up and coming scene but I find that even with the amount of breweries, the amount of time that it's been going on. And you guys kind of touched in your podcast when you talked to Jeremy is that we're kind of the second generation of, of, you know, breweries kind of and brewers and people drinking beer. Like my parents drank craft beer, you know, not a lot of it, but I was familiar with craft beer from when I was, you know, not old enough to drink. Whereas my parents didn't have that, you know, ahead of them. Uh, I am surprised by the, the lack of General knowledge by bars and restaurants around here about beer. Still, they still don't know really anything about, you know, serving pressure. I mean, there's a few exceptions, of course, to that. But serving pressure or clean glassware or foam. Um, I'm I'm actually quite surprised and have been over the years that that really hasn't changed that much, despite the number of breweries and the number of brewers doing it doing it really well. Uh, so I think that's, that's something I'm, I, I'm surprised in this, all these years hasn't changed and I'm not sure if other places have it better or different. Uh, but here in Colorado specifically, I've, I've kind of been amazed that that hasn't changed over time.
0: That's a really interesting point. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I just got back from the, from the Czech Republic earlier this year and you and I have talked about that trip a lot. And something that struck me when I was there, um, was the knowledge level of the average consumer, right? Czech Republic being a place where they drink more beer per capita than anywhere in the world. These people are very familiar with beer, but there was a very general lack of knowledge about beer in a way um, that, I'm not saying I expected them to know necessarily more, but it was, and, and I guess actually to frame that there was, like technical knowledge obviously that they didn't have lexicon for but there was an understanding about beer that they had without being too able to being able to like articulate some of the things like for example everybody in the czech republic that i spoke to just regular people in a bar um understood and were more familiar with hops than anybody i know in the united states even most brewers in the united states because almost everybody that lives in bohemia Went to Jatek when they were in like teenagers, you know, in high school, and worked in the summer during harvest. And they would they would go in the spring, and and so so people were like uniquely familiar with it, and without being able to like describe things. And you, you talk about something like decoction, right? Like a process that for he, here most brewers we even have to describe it to brewers. There for them that's just mashing. Like that's not there's no there's no terminology for it. It's just how it's done. And a normal person would know that. And I wonder with a place like Denver, who, you know, especially comparing it to say Tampa Bay, who, which we're, we're a relatively young uh, sort of beer market, um, maybe, you know, I, I think I'm always struck going to Denver specifically because people, people drink, consume a lot of really good beer. And I think maybe that is what being a sort of advanced or evolved or frankly just older um beer drinking market maybe really truly lends. maybe it sometimes is less about direct knowledge and maybe more sometimes about drinking habits and familiarity with these things because i because to to sort of segue that into this next thing i really want i'm curious about you mentioned that there are breweries there that obviously there's a ton of breweries there and and beer has been prevalent in denver for so long and people have become so used to it that it allows people like yourself to make a brewery that is a, really about one signature thing, right? Like a, a very specific style or process or theme. That hasn't happened here really. Like no one in Tampa Bay has really just picked one thing and said, this way, do now, like you mentioned, Angry Chair, or you know, you could think of like cycle people who around here specialize in maybe a thing that everyone has, you know, is excited about. It becomes popular because everyone digs it um being imperial stouts in that sense but neither of those breweries i think set out to just make that one beer right um you on the other hand you know you are a german lager brewer and you're surrounded by a ton of american brewers american styles or styles that americans have taken and sort of turned into whatever like where do you personally get your inspirations from
2: um, I think you know, having so many breweries, it does allow me to 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 choose this one thing. Although I think that honestly, anywhere it could be popular. I mean, to be fair, uh, Lager is on a 150-year winning streak. Like, like I didn't choose something like it's obscure, you know, to specialize in necessarily. It seems obscure because of the craft scene or whatever, but in general, you know, nine out of ten people are still you know, drinking craft or still drinking, excuse me, lager, uh, pale yellow lager. Like, I don't think that that's anything that's necessarily going to go out of style at all. So I think in that way, it seems like I've focused a lot, which we definitely, you know, have, um, especially on the German components of it. Uh, but you know, I I like to think of myself, not just as a German brewery, even though our core beers are like that, but as a lager brewer in general, and you know for me lager and lager yeast and all those things those are really kind of uh what i'm what i'm passionate about is is what does lager what what is lager like what can lager be and i don't mean by like being gimmicky or whatever but i do think that we get into this idea that you have to you can't use the ingredients um for something specific right so we made a beer called bfl big Fucking lager. Uh, and it's wild, right? It was kind of like, I wanted to see why can't you just make beer out of beer ingredients that, you know, has all these qualities. Why do you have to add, you know, corn, you know, sugar to it? Why do you have to add enzymes to it? Why do you have to do all these things to make a really big malty beer? Why can't lager yeast do that? And if you treat everything the right way, Uh, you actually can, can get to that, that point. Uh, Same with making, you know, a corn lager. Like I'm drinking right now um, is our corn lager that we make generally in for May, but this year corn harvest got pushed back a little bit, but you know, again, like it's not experimenting, but using really good ingredients and really good techniques to get a specific result uh, without gimmicks, without, you know, being forcing it, I guess uh, I would say. And so I'm really passionate about lager yeast. Now, I love drinking pills and Hellas probably the most, which is why I make that majority. And honestly, if you told me I could never make anything but pills and Hellas again, I'd be just fine with it, uh, to be fair. Um, but it's nice to, you know, kind of explore the other things about lager and lager yeast in general. And, you know, making Czech style beers using Czech lager yeast. And how is that different than using our you know standard 3470? Um, and also, what is our 3470 uh, lager yeast capable of? Um, what can it do? I've made Uh, steam beer with it. Uh, I think that's a trademark thing, but, you know, I've made like a fermented it warm and made kind of like that kind of amber colored, you know, with lager yeast. I've made gigantic beers. You know, that BFL was 35 Play-Doh, right. And used only lager yeast to uh, ferment it down and used our regular fermentation schedule and didn't do anything different except for pitch a shitload of yeast uh, and use some croisoning and things like that. Um, you know, just all the things that you can do with lager, lager is not just one tiny piece. Uh, I do think if you want to call something a German style pills, it should be a German style pills. If not, it's just lager. And that's okay too. Uh, trying to put all these, um, beers in a bucket for some reason. I don't, I really understand that, uh, just to get people familiar with them. Cause they're not really that familiar with them, uh, to be honest. So that's, that's my pet peeve about logger, Uh, but you know, focusing on that thing. And I think being in Denver allows us to be able to do that a little bit, because if you want an IPA, you can walk across the street, like they're going to go do it better. Like, why should I compete with Comrade on that or any of the breweries? Cause why should I make Brett, you know, Saison when OMF is winning medals at it and has a passion for it? Like, why should I do these things just because, you know, people think that I should have more variety. Um, you know, we built a brewery to never have to do those things again. I never want to have anything in the tank I don't care about. And I only care about making lagers. So (laughs) that's pretty simple for me.
0: Yeah. Well, so, okay. I got a couple questions there. Number one is if you feel that way, and obviously that's a personal uh, sort of philosophy, like why would I do this if OMF's down the street and they're making bright saisons, like I can go get one there. Why do you think OMF is making pilsner? um what do you think and I I say that as like not directly at them but like anyone in general like what is the point of like why do you think people make those things as well
2: I think sometimes I, I you know I'm a I'm a brew pub so I can serve food I can also serve cider and wine and you know tequila sodas which is everybody on chatter um uh, <laughs> but that's a whole other you know uh crew of people. They drink plenty of Hellas though, to be fair. Uh, I think like when you're just a straight brewery, I think it's a little bit more difficult because people want to come there with a group of people and have variety. Um, I honestly do think because I'm able to offer those other things, uh, and I could have a guest tap if I want to, that I don't really need to, to make those. Um, also, you know, I think people should make whatever they want to make. And if they want to make all those styles, I don't think you shouldn't. I just, I personally don't want to. So for me, that would, I would find my job slash, you know, what I've given my life to uh, extremely disheartening. If I had to do a bunch of things that I didn't want to, um, there's already a bunch of things I don't want to do that I have to do like laundry and shit, you know, like I already don't want to do that. So why do it in the thing that's already really hard, you know, owning a business and you know, this is hard. It's, it's difficult. It's not just coming in and making wort and fermenting it and doing that it's a whole bunch of other things and so if I had that other thing trailing me that I didn't want to do I would I would find this extremely difficult you know it's not exactly financially rewarding it's not exactly like it's lifestyle rewarding and so it's really important to my lifestyle that we do that so I think you know people should make whatever they want to and if they want to make all these different kinds of beer like go at it, Haas
0: Right on. So this 35 Play-Doh beer, which I've talked to you about this beer before, um, you're saying you didn't do anything else. You just pitched your lager yeast, you're fermenting pretty cold, obviously a shitload of it. Uh, Are you like aerating several times or multiple times or just once and just let it ride? You said you're krausening, so you're adding yeast as you go, probably just to kind of keep it, keep fresh yeast, fermenting yeast kind of moving.
2: Mm-hmm. So we did basically like I think the cool kids call it a double mash. I don't really know what they call. Oh, it. Oh, two mashes
0: for one boil.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 So we well we ma- we made our Oktoberfest basically recipe, which is double decocted, uh, which is basically fifty percent Munich Park Munich and fifty percent Vienna, and then we ran it off, and then I used that as the water for the next mash. So mashed in another right. Oktoberfest using the wort as the liquid for the mash, did another double decoction on it and then it ran off like you think it did it's like maple syrup trying to run off maple syrup right like it's like 50 play-doh we did a lot of sparging from below yeah. you know <laughs> or underletting I guess some people yeah. call it I like to call it sparging from below um and it was like a 25 hour brew day for I think we got like 16 barrels on our 30 barrels and I only boiled it for you know two hours I didn't boil for a a super long time or anything um so fermented it at 9c so a tiny bit warmer than we ferment everything else usually ferment everything else around eight and a half c uh and pitch a shitload of yeast and uh we don't really oxygenate that much we knocked out at our normal knockout temperature which is like three degrees celsius so extremely cold then you get a lot of oxygen you know dissolved in there uh we, we use uh um compressed air there. instead of oxygen uh, to aerate and just let it go. And every day I was checking, you know, making sure it was still chugging along. Uh, and it did, and I kind of wanted to push it a little bit further. So I had a dunkle that we had a high croissant and I used that to croissant it towards the end to kind of give it that last push to finish. And it finished at nine Play-Doh. So I, which I think, yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty impressed that we were able to, able to get it to do that. But to me that, that to me, is a non gimmicky beer that we used real techniques on to see because, you know, you see all these people making a lot of, you know, hype beers, these gigantic stouts, they have to boil for, you know, 15 hours or whatever it is and add a bunch of sugar to, you know, in order to get them to dry out. And I'm just was convinced that that wasn't necessarily true. Um, So I tried to use everything I knew about our yeast and I had a lot of yeast, a lot of really healthy yeast. and tr- knew everything I knew about, you know, technique-driven to make that beer, and it was—I'll probably never make it again, but it's still tasting rad after two years. To be honest with you, that's um, awesome, man.
0: Kind of like so a barley cool.
2: wine-esque, you know?
0: Sure, uh, yeah. And you use, but, and you're using, you're using like traditional German techniques. You're talking about krausening, and obviously, like the idea of not necessarily needing more pure oxygen because you're using compressed air at a cold temperature. You're holding all that in. Were um, you saying that for your, you took your your marten? Uh, was that was your foundation water, correct? But you said mash mm-hmm. so like is it was it just like it was basically your foundation water was like this wort beforehand? Because I've done that before too, actually, with a barley wine that I made with it was the first time I did that technique. I did it with um, Chase at American Solera. We brewed a beer called the Obscure Years Ago, and that was the first time we did that. We did two mashes, and the second mash, the actual foundation water was just wort that we pulled off from the first mash.
2: Mm-hmm. That's basically, I mean, Sorry. I didn't pull off any. I just uh, used all of the, all the work as my mash in water.
0: Yeah. And so you, used all the, so, so it was no water. It was just, it was actually literally Oktoberfest. It was,
2: yeah, it was like 15 Plato, 16 Plato wort as my mash water.
0: <laughs> that is crazy.
2: It was, uh. it was something. Uh. I don't know. I mean, it was, like I said, I wanted to do something like I, I, you know, you kind of look around you and you kind of think, like, why does it have to be? Why does it have? Why do things have to be gimmicky? And I really, true. That's. I mean, I think it's the only thing that saddens me sometimes about this industry, is I really don't care what you make, but I really want people to make things with with integrity and make things out of real ingredients, and not just make something that you know has a a cool label or you know, just, just for a shock value. And so it was kind of my response to that, that you don't have to do those things if you use proper technique or you, you know, why do you have to make an Oreo beer with Oreos? Why can't you use ingredients that make it seem like those, you know, characters, right? Like, it seems like that's possible, I guess, uh, to actually use ingredients to, to coax flavors out and to use techniques to coach flavors out instead of just you know, extraneously adding
0: it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, like what you're talking about is something that I I obviously find far more compelling than adding, say, a cookie to a beer. Um, You know, I think with that said, you know, I wonder sometimes, because obviously this is like all around me, I see this kind of stuff all the time. um, And while I, I don't typically partake in like making those things, part of it, Part of it is a dual answer for me too. It's kind of similar to you. It's like, well, if someone else is already doing it. Like, why would I do that for one? Which really for me is is like an excuse to not do it. Like I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not like looking for a reason to do it. Uh, and then the second one is I'm I'm just not as interested in that final product. I'm not as interested in consuming it for my, like myself. And I tend to find that my favorite beers in the world are the ones that are made by people for something. Like, and and obviously those are made for the consumer. They're made to, they're they're made because it doesn't actually matter what it tastes like. We're doing this because someone's gonna buy it because I said there's Oreos in it. And so I'm, I'm doing it to sell it, which I get it, we're a business, we're supposed to sell beer and everything, but that never makes my favorite beer. It just, it never turns into the best beer that I can think of. It's never inspiring to me. It doesn't make me wanna make beer. Um, it doesn't even make me want an Oreo. It just makes me like, you know, it's, uh, it's utterly uninteresting to me. Whereas what you're describing is extremely interesting to me. So if you're, if you're like literally surrounded by all this, like what are some, can you give us some examples of your favorite beers, the beers that you love the most? And maybe not just styles, but like actual brands that you find inspiring, that you find interesting and that, you know, just are your favorites.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. Uh, I have this like funny crossover of, um, of friends, I guess. Uh, I tend most of my friends in this industry and most of the people that I talk to on a regular basis are owner brewers. And it's, it's funny. Almost at every one of those places, I can find a beer on their list that is inspiring to me because they gave a shit about it right? Like there's something about owning the business and also still being the person, you know, that's involved in recipe development, that's involved in the processes, even if they're not directly, you know, on the brew deck all the time. But when, you know, like you, uh, Evan Price, you know, at Green Cheek, uh, around here, Comrade, you know, the IPA, um, called Arms, Little Machine from around here, you know, these places are the owner slash brewer is directly involved in the beer every day. And I can go to every one of those tasting rooms and find a beer that I want to drink, you know, 10 of honestly, because they want to drink 10 of them. And I think that that translates really well. And so, you know, as far as those beers are concerned, I think that there's, there's a lot of them, whether it's like a really good IPA or pale ale, or they're really trying to work on, you know, crushing their lager game uh, and, and doing some of those things, or even at like a place uh, called little machine they make this fruit beer, which isn't like, I'm not a fruit beer drinker, obviously, but they have this beer called Ras Against the Machine, which is completely amazing. Like, and it's because he's taken so long to work on this one thing and make it perfect. You can tell when you drink it, that it's it's all the right things. It's balanced. It's subtle. It's, you know, nuanced. Uh, and I think that almost at all these places, and I know I've forgotten some of the places, but when the owner is, is instrumental in making the beers. I think that you can taste that in the beers um, because they want to sit there and drink it. And they have put, you know, more than just their time into that place. They put their money, their energy and their livelihood on it uh, for that. And I don't know that it's true across the board, but that just happens to be most of my friends. And maybe they're my friends because they also make really good beer and I don't have to not look them in the face or go to their place, you know? So that's helpful, I guess. Uh, I don't want to be friends with people people where I don't want to drink their beer. Uh, that's very hard.
0: Right on. Well, so, okay. So, um, I, I wasn't fishing for that, but I appreciate it. Um, what are some, uh, what are some examples of, of, of German beers that you find are your favorite versions of some of the stuff that you do?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard here. I think part of the reason we did do what we did, uh, was because you can't find fresh examples of those beers here in the United States, uh, not at any frequency. I mean, they are, frankly, most of them are garbage by the time they get here. They're, they I mean, they're so damaged. They're so sad. Uh, but when I'm over there, you know, I think actually, you know, some of the Doppelbachs arrive. Okay. Corbinian, uh, from Weinstavon, uh, is excellent Doppelbach, um, that you can get here in pretty good shape. But when I'm there in Germany, you know, I think, you know, at the very beginning when I, the best kind of the best examples you could get here was Bitburger those are the first kind of beers that inspired me. Our Pills is 11-7 because that's what Bitburger starts at. Um, you know, the hop character on it's really nice if you can get a fresh one, but uh, having traveled there now, you know, Augustiner Pills, which you can't get on draft anymore. I don't know. You used to be able to get it on draft at like one or two places. Uh, yeah, Augustiner they yelled at Pills. me
0: when I tried to order it with Bill in April when I, we were in Munich with, and they were, I ordered a Pills and they were like, "We don't drink that," and he told me that was going to happen too. it. It's exactly what happened. I ended up finally getting a yes. phone, but it was old.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd feel to get it on draft at that place, and you would try to order it, and they'd be like, "No, no, you don't want that. It comes in a small glass. You want you want the big glass," and they would try to wave you up and be like, "No, dog, we want five of them. Like, roll them up. Let's go." And it would, you'd have to argue with them. Uh, but now you can't even really get it on draft there since COVID. Uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, that, that beer, I mean, honestly, everything from Sean Rome, and I've been lucky enough to to know Eric Top personally um, and call him a friend. So, you know, that's a super inspirational place for me. And those beers, you know, across the board, I think his pills is, you know, hoppier than ours. And I don't prefer him that hoppy necessarily, but from start to finish, every one of his beers of the German styles is 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 the be- one of the, be- it's the best I've ever had and going there and drinking it with him and seeing his place, um, you know, Schoenarmor Gold, uh, his export beer, they have a light dish beer. It's a light beer, which is awesome. His Dunkel's excellent. But even those beers, you know, come here once in a while and they're just a sad shadow of what they should be. I mean, if you ever see a German style beer that has a veil to it, a haze to it, like it's, you better, you might as well not drink it because it didn't come here like that or it wasn't brewed that way anyways, unless it was specifically a Keller beer. Uh, but some of those beers are really definitely like I actually got my show glass right now that I'm drinking out of uh, are very inspirational to me. And those are the beers I like to drink when I'm over there and, and, and seek out.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Those are pretty much all the best ones.
2: Oh, and uh, Ondex. Ondex, of course, right? Doppelbach.
0: Oh man. After dude! you that hiked that up the mountain? It's the best, it's best Doppelbach I've ever had in my life for sure. Um, like, and it wasn't even like close. Like I, I, I had a half liter and then I finished with another half liter because I was like, who drinks a, who drinks a liter of Doppelbock?" I did. <laughs> I didn't know I did, but I was that guy. Um, yeah, their, their vice beer also was pretty spectacular and they had Hellas and special on as well, which were, which were really good. Um, Z was one that I was like super stoked on because I love their Hellas, Um, and then I had a side-by-side of that one in the Augustiner. I was like, shit, I like, think I like Augustiner. I, I didn't think I did. I mean, I, was sure it was the best one, but it was like, but I drank so many of them that I was like, I don't know. And then I had them side by side. And then I was like, oh my God, the Augustine or hell is so good. Not that I'm shitting on Tegranti at all, because that beer is ridiculously great. Like I'm really well, so
2: much nuance. Yeah. It's so much nuance. You know, I think, you know, and, and obviously Doppelbock at Ondex, I mean, part of it is you walk up a, you know, four and a half miles up the hill which isn't necessarily a hard walk, but you know, you're kind of there. It's like, it's kind of like Disneyland, honestly, it's wild. If you had all the money in the world, I don't think you could build that, you know, and you're just, and Doppelbach there, you know, is only 8% or 7.5%. It's not, it's not what we Americans have botched into, you know, 12% doppelbock. They're, they're actually reasonably alcohol. So yes, I mean, that is the testament though, to, to making this style of beer to making lager in general, is that even if it is too alcoholic, you don't necessarily want to drink more of it because of the alcohol content uh you don't not want to drink it because of the flavor like it has that kind of um another another one like you want to drink another one even if you shouldn't because of you know alcohol content or whatever but every single beer including doppelbach has that quality to it is the the wanting to drink another one
0: for sure yeah i mean and that's something that was and that that's you know pretty apparent you know the Ondex- Doppelbach, I'm pretty sure it was like 7.2, seven and a half percent, maybe. It wasn't above seven and a half. And of course, like in my head, I'm I, I'm assuming bigger than that because it's like all I see in America. And I saw that's what it was, oh, awesome. But I still didn't think I was going to drink more than one, you know, like, and and I smell it and I taste it. And I swear to God, I think the first thing I said when I tried was like, I'm going to drink another one of these before we leave. <laughs> like I just, I knew it already. I already made up my mind. Uh, and to your point, walking up that up the sort of hill up the side of this mountain before you get there it's like a four four and a half mile walk from the train when you get up there and and it's incredible and you got to walk back down uh and so when you get up there it's like time for a break it's time for a rest and so you know you start crushing beers and then you're like well now that i'm here i might as well just keep going um to that end we're going to go ahead and take our take a break for ourselves here um yeah, we'll uh, we'll come back in just a few with uh, Ashley Carter of Lager House after this
1: message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection. So you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Teas collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.f-i-r-s-d-t-e-a.com.
0: All righty, we're back with Ashley of Beershot Lagerhaus. Ashley, let's, um, let's shift gears a little bit from talking about um, Germany, because uh, this, uh, this does remind me of your assistant brewer and husband, uh, Bill.
2: The worst uh, assistant brewer. That's right. Sorry,
0: you're right. It is the worst brewer. assistant brewer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's uh, so so Bill's been brewing for quite a long time. Um, he has a really cool. I think personally, I think it's a really unique perspective on beers. Um, he's really picked what he's enjoyed. Um, in the world, he's kind of you know decided how he feels about it. And and but however, is always willing to try. Um, that's something that blows my mind about this guy who has his mind made up. He's always. But he's also so excited to try stuff. How do you think? Um, could you tell us that he's influenced you over the years, and how do you think that he continues to to maybe help you achieve your goals?
2: Yeah. Uh, first of all, we call him the worst assistant brewer because I am the head brewer, and he keeps saying that he will never be my assistant. So he is definitely the worst assistant because I still have to find all the tools and like he's like a home run. He's like a batter after a home run, right? He just hits the ball out of the park and just tosses whatever he has in his hands away like there's no telling where it's going to be where it's going to show up uh anyways that's I mean some of the things I love about him I'll use that (laughs) loosely um but you know like part of the reason you know that we got together in the first place was because of our mutual um love of things uh and love of these beers you know he he definitely he's been in I think this is his 26th year he did his 25th year in brewing last year um he still you know makes wort his tagline is i make wort and have a good time uh doesn't really do any cellar work or anything but you know i think it's amazing that he still has that want to do that like a little bit less these days than he has before but he still wants to be in the brew house and he really does um love being there you know this we've helped each other in this way know this is an idea he had a long time ago is opening kind of an all german style brewery Um, if i weren't here it'd be more german than germany is um, which is definitely not me which is why it's a little more diverse than that uh, because i'm not german and while i do love it i also love the other things that we can do um but you know in that way you know i've helped him kind of realize the things that he wants to do and we've got he's gotten everything that he's wanted to achieve in a brewery necessarily is building this place that makes these perfect styles, uh, that makes these beers. And, you know, I've always been there to, you know, execute them basically. And from our relationship from the beginning is a lot of that, like he might have an idea. Uh, you know, I have my own ideas of course, but then I will, you know, figure out a way to execute some of those things. Um, that's just kind of my personality. So, you know, he's obviously influenced me. I mean, he taught me about lager uh, from when we were together at Dry Dock. He taught me about, you know, the fermentation and brought back these beers from Germany that I'd never tried before, you know, because at that time, even 11 years ago, it wasn't as wild as it is today, but there was still a lot of, you know, stuff out there. And I don't know, something about it clicked when he was like, you know, you want to find the best beer on the list or how good a brewer is, is a three malt, two hop, you know, one yeast. Beer under 5%. And that's how you figure out if any, if these people know what they're doing. And so that kind of just stuck with me. And I've always been kind of this weirdo perfectionist where I just want to do something over and over and over and over again till it's perfect. And I don't really have an innovative side in me necessarily. I could make the same thing all the time. It wouldn't bother me. I just want it to be consistent and perfect um, over and over again. But, you know, I think in that way, we really have balanced each other. It's been you know, putting together this brewery, uh, it's kind of weird. It, he's I've seen him, you know, go from being my boss, and I'm not his boss. Trust me. Uh, if I said that here, he'll he'd freak out. I'm definitely not his boss. Uh, but I definitely am in in charge of things uh, around the brewery. But, you know, having him there to always taste things, to bounce things off of, we have both always had the same kind of, you know, thought about this place. Like there's not a lot that we disagree on, especially fundamentally. And I think that that's kind of why it it works uh, for the two of us. And, you know, I, I am impressed that he will try different things because I'm a little less likely to try new things. Um, I just, I like to drink the same thing. It's a kind of a funny joke that I'll just say, like, I don't like ales. Like, I do like ales, but I'm just, if I don't know that it's going to be pretty good or came from a reputable place, like, I'm just not into trying new things. Uh, and he is, he'll try anything. I was impressed. He tried those beers at angry chair. I had a sip of it, but he was like stoked on trying it. I've never had one of these before. Let's try it. And that's just, uh, not me. It's not that I'm, I'm, I'm I'm kind of afraid of it. Honestly, I'm afraid I'm scared. I know what I like. (laughs) I want to keep drinking more of that. I like drinking beers in quantity, you know, that's just, that's my personality. So I am always impressed that, you know, that he still wants to be there doing the work and he's not afraid of. Doing work i mean how many brewers after 26 years want to still be lugging hoses around or you know if he's got a keg he would keg if he's had to clean kegs he would clean kegs like that's something i'm very impressed with him always is that you know ability to still want to be in the brewery like that um even if he stepped away a bit
0: yeah i i couldn't agree more with with everything that that you said kind of about him like he has He's, you know, he said something to me once, uh, I, it was somewhat recently, but I'm pretty sure he had said it to me before that too, at some point, you know, that his, you know, similarly to you and, and I, and something that you kind of said, you guys do share a lot of similarities in what you love and, and what you like and, um, and how you want to make the products that you make, um, which is obviously why it works so well, well together. Um, and it comes through you know, obvious, I think to anybody that knows, um but he said to me that the you know the the like perf- like he cares about perfection and you you mentioned perfection as well like i want this thing to be perfect and 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 he said that he's his sort of philosophy though kind of is that in order to be perfect you really kind of have to focus on it like you can't really deviate too much unless otherwise you are kind of losing focus on perfecting something um and for a person who feels that way about perfection and you know, I think, I think in a vacuum, that statement seems quite, and I know that you share this sort of feeling for the most part, um, that, that, that statement feels arguably unadventurous, right? And for, for in, from in that sort of bubble, the dude is super adventurous. Like he's, he's, you know, he's, he's not that at all. He's not, not adventurous at all. Like he's very excited about trying new things. He's very excited about just seeing what's out there. Uh, when he hears something, he might, shake his head at the moment, but he wants to try it, you know, and he wants to experience it. Um, and, uh, but obviously at the end of the day, understanding that like, what he cares about, um, is the perfection in these little things, which, which obviously you do too, um, because you, you guys, beers are immaculate. I mean, they're just consistently incredible. So when you're not drinking those consistently incredible beers of yours, what other kind of styles do you like outside of lager, even though I know you don't like ales? Um, <laughs> what, uh, so so like, are there a few that come to mind that you're like, you know what, actually I really like these, I enjoy these uh, styles just in a bucket, you know?
2: I, like, I really, I, I like good West Coast IPA, like bright, right, uh, bitterness, right, to it, um, you know, sometimes I'm sad that they're like seven and a half percent, you know what I mean? Cause I want to drink a couple of them, but I really enjoy like these nice, bitter, you know, clean, nuanced, you know, IPAs that have a little bit of, you know, dank, a little bit of like that pithy grapefruit, you know, kind of character to them. Um, I, I love a good, you know, pale ale, same thing. Like I love beers that are made really, really well. Uh, I like stout, you know, like a really good, low alcohol, you know, stout, a lot of beers that you can drink a lot of, um, you know, some of these are the things that I kind of seek out if it's not just lager. Um, again, I like to see what other people are, are excited about too, uh, from their own breweries, you know, so usually people will be like, oh, what do you want me to bring you for my brewery? And I want them to bring me the thing they're most proud of and excited about, even if it's not necessarily my go-to style, because I know that there'll be something in it that is, uh, you know, is is drinkable and, and delicious because it was made with a certain level of passion and care and drive. And I think you can taste that in beer, but you know, I'll drink a, you know, a, a Bagby has this beer called copycat, which is basically their copycat of uh, Sierra Nevada pale ale. And I could drink the shit out of that there, you know, over and over again, but honestly, his lagers are really good. So I usually don't bother that much <laughs> as it turns out. So you know, there's a, there's a bunch of beers out there. Again, I've mentioned Comrade a couple of times, but I think that superpower is maybe one of the finest, uh, just straight up IPAs out there. Again, I'm sad at 7% sometimes, but I think it really like pushes the line of being just the right amount of bitter, just the right amount of dry, you know, just the right amount of like all the different kinds of hop character, not just focusing on one being just sickly sweet or just straight fruit punch. You know, it has some of those kind of dank piney elements that i also enjoy in those beers
0: yeah man i couldn't agree more i mean obviously all the styles that you mentioned ip i love ipa i love west coast ipa and and i feel the exact same way um i've actually i, I say this sometimes to people um because it, it happens a lot speaking to either consumers or family members or friends that are not like in the beer world and they'll go drinking with me which of course is like You know, buckle up (laughs) because we're gonna we're gonna drink. Don't try to Uh, keep
2: up. Yeah, don't keep up.
0: It's not. It's not. It's it's not safe. But so the. But I always say to them, you know, especially because they'll see the way I order versus how they order, and most of the time, any one of them will order, you know, some higher alcohol stuff. They'll be in that seven to eight percent range, all the like a lot, and they're like, "What are you drinking?" I'm like, "I'm drinking this four and a half five percent beer all day," or several of them. And my, what I've always said to him was like, I enjoy drinking entirely too much to like alcohol. Like I just like, I, I like drinking, like I love drinking. And if I'm gonna drink, I'm gonna drink, right? And, and I've, you know, figured out how to do it as long as I possibly can once I start because I love the act of drinking. I, you know, it's my least favorite part is actually getting really drunk, like that sucks. I like, cause then I can't do it more. And I like just drinking. And so I do always find myself like upset when, especially if I go into a brewery and it's just like, there's just everything seven plus. And I'm just like, I, what am I even doing here? Cause this is just going to, it's going to piss me off more than it's going to make me happy. Cause I'm going to have one beer, two max. And then I'm going to be like, well, what do I do now? Like, I don't even, I don't even want to do this. So
2: yeah, um, I, I feel the same way. I, I love drinking beer. And part of that, you know, is with people, I don't love just like sitting at home and crushing beer by myself. Exactly. There's a time and a place for that, of course. Exactly. But uh, for the most part, I like being around people and I like drinking all day and I like having my wits about me. I don't like being, I don't like necessarily being like drunk, drunk, you know, but I do love drinking beer and I do love drinking beer with people. And I do love like how the conversation loosens up. And I do like how you can start talking about you know, all sorts of things. And honestly, you know, I've said it a million times and I'll say it again, but sometimes I find the least interesting thing is the beer, right? And that's how it should be. I want to drink the beer and forget about drinking the beer. I want to talk about all the other things I want. You know, I don't want to, be, you know, it's, it, we talk about beer, of course, you know, when we're sitting together a lot and, and what we think of it and if the bitterness is right and, you know, we kind of analyze it. But I think for like the average consumer, that's just kind of like sad a little bit. And I think I want to see more people just drinking the beer and talking about the other things that actually matter. And I I like making the beer that can make that possible, I guess, you know, and making under 5% beer, I think is lends itself to that. It lends itself to more conversation. It lends itself to, you know, being there all day in the beer garden or, you know, sitting at web city. Like, I love that sitting outside talking shit you know, about everything, you know, Tampa Bay or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You got Brady on your fantasy team, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so that's one of the things I like about drinking and like about hanging out with people is they kind of, they facilitate each other. And so, yeah, yeah I get I, really sad when there's 8%, like how am I supposed to deal with this?
0: I know. I completely agree. I walk in up and look at it, look at that tab list. Like I, I, I'd rather cry than like, you know, than anything else. i I'm like, Oh no, dude, I'm trying to drink all day. Speaking of which, like the corn lager you're drinking, obviously when I was there last, like it was like, I was crushing. That's the one you do with Finn's Manor, right? Yep. God, that beer is so good. And it's like so drinkable. And I think like to something that you just said, right? Like sometimes my favorite times and like, our experiences drinking is when kind of the beer is the beer is the least least important thing at the moment for sure. Um, but unfortunately for that to really happen, the beer really usually needs to be very good. And like the the times in which the beer is the least interesting thing is when it's so well-made that I have no problems with it. Like I'm not distracted by it. I'm not like thinking about it. I'm like the first few sips, sure. I'm like, man, it's phenomenal. But then eventually it's just phenomenal. And I don't have to think about that anymore it's already decided, it's already written, it's finished. Like I, w- I will drink this all day long. I don't have to think about this thing anymore that I know is gonna be excellent every time I pick it out. You know, and, and those are always what I'm looking for. That corn lager is definitely one of them that I could,
2: I could do that all day. Yeah, I'm sad we're like on our last few cases of it because uh, it was really rad this year and I love making it. And it's a tough beer to make um, because it is very technique driven uh but at the end of the day like i want to drink it out of a can with a lime stuffed in it and just like crush tons of them like that's what i love about it is that i'm like man this beer you know if you think about it you look at it and you taste it and all those things you're like this is rad and you're like now i can get to you know talking about the other things or doing the other things and um there was actually it was funny uh, i think most brewers kind of uh, understand what you and i are talking about right now um which is that idea that if it's so good you don't actually think about it. Um, I was at uh, Resident Culture for their Lager Fest a few years ago, back in 2019. And I was sitting there with Kevin Davey uh, from Wayfinder and Lisa Allen from Peter Allen and Bill and myself. And their lager was tasting like phenomenal that day. We were just like in the tap room, just crushing beers. And Chris came over, the uh, owner Barrett, Resident Culture, was like, how's the beer? And we're like, haven't really thought about it. And he's like, that's like the best compliment ever, right? Like we're crushing four or five or six, by the way, that night ended up a little bit rough because there was a bunch of fernet involved Amaros. And then we ended up at a Buffalo Wild Wings drinking double gin and tonics at 2am like you're supposed to, I guess. So the whole evening went downhill, but it's because we were crushing all this lager and, you know, not even thinking about it. And I think that that's, you know, kind of the testament. That's what we're all looking for. I always say you know, Hella's kind of toes that line between bland and sublime. Like you shouldn't really think about it. It should not be cloying. There should be nothing you want to change about it from, from half liter to half liter a pint to pint.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions now. Uh, we're going to bring in some more like check sort of thoughts. Uh, I kind of want to get your opinions on some stuff, obviously. You're a, you're a German brewer first and foremost. Uh, most of your techniques and process and the beers that you guys produce are mostly German. You do make some Czech beers, obviously the Tumave, uh collaboration you do with Bagbeet, which is so good, based off an experience that you had and Fleku together in Prague. Um, so what do you see the what do you see the fundamental differences between German beer and Czech beer, and obviously like what what and what elements of each one do you kind of prefer?
2: Uh, overall, I definitely prefer German style beer. Uh, and that's because it is a little bit drier. Um, there is something about Czech beer that I find uh, very satiating. Um, and honestly, in a bad way, you know, when you're drinking it, like I had my first experience with Czech beer on that trip that we took to to Prague, you know, actually from the source. And I finally had an experience because honestly, until that moment, I was not sure that I liked anything about Czech beer. I mean, really most of the time, unfortunately, I see a lot of brewers that I, that I adore and love uh, that make their Czech beer with German style yeast, which is, which is fine. But I think I prefer those ones, but I'm not necessarily that, that it translates the exact same way. I think it can when proper techniques are used, but I think the yeasts are fundamentally uh, different. Uh, But I did have a moment, you know, sitting at this bar called Cantina and had a Pilsner or And that was the first moment that I felt like, oh, I fucking get it. Like it was the perfect amount hoppy. It balanced the malt character to it. And I did want to have another one. Uh, But unfortunately, until that moment, I had had a lot of clunky examples of even Pilsner Raquel, which blows my mind that in Prague, you can get so many variations of the same beer, some excellent and some just god awful. Uh, I was not sure until that moment that I had had that beer, and so you know, finally having it and understanding this balance between sweetness and hoppiness is 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 very nuanced. And I think that that they can get it right. And same with that beer at Infleku, you know, they make a Tamave, so dark uh, thirteen, and that dark beer again. A lot of the other darker styles are so sweet; I find them almost undrinkable, but they're not always uh, completely. You know, undrinkable. They're, but they can be hard to drink. uh, Some of them. So I think so that the main difference is honestly some of that satiating sweetness. But I think it takes a deft hand when you're doing it. And I think that sometimes you know brewers want them to be so dry that they do use you know German yeast instead of Czech yeast, which can work. I just think it's a little bit. It's it's more nuanced than that. Um, Yours is really excellent, and I'm pretty sure you do use German yeast, but it does taste more authentic than a lot of the ones I've had that are just trying to be German, honestly.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I actually, you know, I had a conversation a few years ago. I made a Timave. Um, I think it was an 11 degree that I had made um, a few years ago. And I brought a can with me down to Mexico to Carataro to Josh Bringle um, from Hercules, Spring, who Josh is an old friend of mine from here in, in Florida um, before he moved to Mexico. And he had Tamave and that batch was actually made with 3470 and he called it out immediately. He was like, is this 3470? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I thought so because it it translates as arguably too clean. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like a little bit too clean, a little bit too crisp. And it was, it wasn't necessarily the driest beer in the world. Um, You know, it still had a a higher final gravity than say most of my beers that are with 3470 um, uh, come out to, but it, for sure had uh, sort of a cleanliness to it. Oh thank you, sir. Yum. James brought me a spark uh, our smoked hey, smoke. I have pizza. one
2: too. I'm gonna have oh, one here, here smoke
0: it. It. <laughs> nice. Very good. Kind on drafts and beersthod mugs. Doing it right. <laughs> cool. Enjoy it. Thanks, y'all. buddy. Um, so I had to text my text my order in real quick. Um, so, yeah. So he called that out and he was like, you know, you know, it's so clean. You should try using a different yeast next time. I'm curious what you think. And so I went down this pathway of trying different yeast strands and I started pulling in some Czech yeast. Um, I, and you know, that I use, obviously you know this, but I, I use Augustiner a lot, um, as sort of our house sort of, uh, yeast. We, we use 3470 quite often too, but most of our, there it is. Cheers. Um, uh, yes. is, uh, is Augustiner. And actually I find having gone back and forth between Czech yeast and that, I actually kind of not necessarily prefer, but I almost can't tell that much of a difference between the Czech yeast and Augustiner specifically. I can with 3470. He's right. It does. It is cleaner. It is a lot crisper, even softer a little bit or something, you know, just super clean about that yeast that, that does that. But I find Augustiner gives me an arguably more authentic sort of version of Czech beer, even if I use the Budvar yeast or the Pilsner or Quell yeast, um, which I've used both of those. Uh, But most of the time, Polnitsa, our Czech lager, the one we do year-round, that one is usually August because we always use that yeast anyway. We've fermented virtually the same. Um, But that beer does actually finish at a higher gravity than most of our German lagers. Uh, With that said, to your point, when I was in the Czech Republic, it was the same thing. I would go to a bar, and I would drink Pilsner Quell, because it's the only beer they had, and it would be god-awful. And then I would walk across the street, and it was one of the best pints I ever had in my life, of the exact same beer. And I found that throughout Prague and some other places in the Czech Republic, and I think I sort of started to feel like or realize as I was there for you know the full week, it's not about the beer. And actually, if you talk to people, they'll say, they won't say what their favorite beer is because there's really just kind of one one or two or five beers around you know at all. What they'll say is their favorite place to drink beer. And I found that to be super unique to the culture of the Czech of Czech um, people and drinkers specifically, even even unique. To Germany or other air, other places near them, um, was that they had their favorite bars, their favorite tank bars that poured it the way they wanted. And the only the only other place that reminded me of that was kind of the UK, where I know you just came back from the UK, which I was going to ask you how that trip was. Um, but you know, into that sort of question, I find a lot of people feel that way about Cascade where they'll say it's not about because you can literally have a Cascale at one pub and go across the street to another one. And they taste massively different. One is trash and one is the best pint you ever had in your life. Um, and it, it reminded me of that a lot. It reminded me of that sort of uh, character. What uh, would you guys get up to in the UK? And uh, how was it?
2: It was it was great. Um, I missed I missed lager when I got home. Uh, Naturally. I mean, it was fine. I drank a lot of uh, scotch um, <laughs> and a lot of uh, Guinness while we were there. Uh, we kind of traveled everywhere, which is pretty cool. It's kind of a spot I had not been to um, ever, really. I've been to London, but it was a long time ago. I was 20 the last time I was in London. So Definitely. like I had no beer drink. I had no drinking experience besides, you know, bathtubs full of bush light. <laughs> um really. And my friend there was young too, and they were drinking Smirnoff ice. So, like honestly, I'm not joking. They were drinking, that was what they were drinking to get drunk. Was Like, not even ice. ironically. No, not even ironically. Like that was what they like, the sweet, you know, super sweet. So um, which I find hilarious. Uh right now. Yeah, so we got uh we got to go do a bunch of things, we got to go have a bunch of you know, cascale. Uh, mostly it was about drinking scotch. It was Bill's 60th birthday, so we kind of did that trip for for him. We went to Dufftown, uh, which is a really tiny spot. There's like 50 gigantic distilleries within 50 miles. Crazy. It's insane. Like, we walked from Dewar's to McAllen like, oh, wow. very easily. And those are two gigantic distillers, like, like, they're across the street from each other, basically. I mean, you know, it's like a 15 minute walk, but. I just find that insane. I didn't realize, you know, in this town of only 500 people, at least the last time we checked Craigallachie was only 500 people in it. There's all of these, you know, they're, they're in Speyside, it's the river Spey uh, that they get all their water from. So I thought that was pretty impressive. You know, these gigantic distilleries are all in this tiny little area. I think of breweries being dense. That's a pretty dense um, for, for that amount of beer. I mean, you know, millions of cases of beer or of uh, scotch per year. Uh, went into the UK, we got to, or went to London, and I got to have, uh, you know, some cask beer. Uh, I had a really good Fuller's, uh, which was interesting, but it's kind of funny. I almost think that kind of the beer at Hogshead is better. <laughs> I hate to say that, like, especially consistency wise, you know, again, like you could go to one bar. And it's rad, and we went to another bar, and it was just like so much diacetyl, and I can't stand yeah. any amount of diacetyl. Uh, and the other one was like almost vinegar, and we we're like, "Cool, I am not broke anymore, so I'm just gonna leave these beers here and go drink somewhere else." But it amazed me how much Peroni they were all drinking there. To be honest with you, it, like, yeah, most of, of Peroni.
0: Yeah, that's like the majority of like a lot of those pubs. They're just pouring like. Um continental lager like 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 a mass produced continental lager for the most part like a Peroni um or yeah even like Stella I saw a ton there um, and but it's it's like all over the place. And to your point, yeah Hog's head's incredible. I mean I think um I don't think people realize the caliber of sort of uh of pints that that you know kirby's kicking out at hogshead near you in 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 denver you're 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 spoiled with that because i mean it's 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 definitely the best like proper pint i think i've had in the united states you know several times over every time i go um and and consistently oftentimes better than a lot that i get in the uk so um i'm with you there Uh, i'm gonna transition real quick and actually ask you a couple more questions about um so you guys, well, about what you guys do, um, you basically single-handedly kind of created what has become a just almost requirement, like part of a brewery opening now, which is to have a LUKER faucet. Um, obviously, there were other people that were using LUKER faucets at the time, but you were definitely the one who people would come to CBC or gabf every year and there would be it'd be packed and every brewer would watch how you guys poured beer how you guys cared about having foam on the beer um and specifically everyone was like what the hell are those faucets it happened to me i literally bought them because of you i'm actually literally wearing a luker shirt right now um yeah and i bought one because of you i poured my beer because of you the way that i did um, and, and I learned over time, some of the other techniques and, and sort of proper check technique techniques to pouring. Um, but at the time I didn't know, I just really loved the appearance. I love the flavor that those gave. How do you feel when you see that at every brewery now, number one, and then why did you choose that faucet? And what was that experience like being like basically the first to do it or one of them? Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, I'm. Thank you for saying that. Cause that, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to like. look, when we opened this place, one of our expressed uh visions and goals was to change the way that beer is served in the United States. That that was literally on Bill and I's top of our list, what we wanted to do. And part of that is, you know, over time you see all these really cool old ads, right? Where you see foam just like coming over the top. I mean, you can watch any commercial. Budweiser, Michelob Ultra, like it's in a Michelob Ultra glass. When when have you ever seen a Michelob Ultra glass for the record? Uh, (laughs) With like amazing amounts of foam. You know, of course, two people have a bottle. One person has a draft Like you have to showcase. One person has a can for some reason. They're all drinking together at a bar and they've all have different kinds of this. Uh, But other than that, like you can see the foam and how beautiful it is. You get some old timey, timey photos that took like 10 minutes to take and there's foam on these beers, you know, for that amount of time. And it's just kind of amazing that we kind of have gotten to this effect in the United States, specifically, uh, of kind of that McDonald's effect, right. Where the ads look nothing like what you're, you're getting basically. And so kind of the idea was like, why, why does it have to be that way? Like we coming into these tasting rooms, Uh some of them unfortunately adopted, you know, the shaker point and the quick pour, whatever. We decided that, you know, when you come to our place, this should be the best place that you get our beer. And that also includes educating people about what foam is. And it includes, you know, how do I want my beer served to me? Like I say this all the time. Like, I want people to have the same experience that I want to have. And that's, you know, with foam, the way it's supposed to be, the way you would get it, honestly, almost anywhere. I mean, even the most innocuous bar in the UK, anywhere, drinking any beer. I mean, I got Guinness in a Guinness glass. I was in a bar in Glasgow and I saw a Bud Light glass. Like it was fucking gorgeous too. It was the most gorgeous glass I've ever seen. And the beer was poured in a Bud Light glass. A Bud Light was poured in a Bud Light glass in Glasgow with an amazing amount of foam lacing down the sides as the guy was drinking it. And I was just like so sad. Like that is from here and we cannot get that experience here and so part of it was getting that experience here is how how to serve beer and how to experience it and i remember one of the first gabfs we were open uh we had a brewer come upstairs i don't remember who who it was but you could just see like they ordered one of every beer and sat down and all of them were you know sat down perfectly because i installed the fear of god into these bartenders to be fair they do a really good job and they believe in it too but you know, all the beers came perfect, the perfect amount of foam, everything. And I I saw him kind of like stand up. And when he stood up, he kind of looked around. He was like, where am I? Like, cause this doesn't happen in the United States. And that is the kind of thing that we wanted to instill. I think we've done a really good job people seeing that to see that they can do it in their places too. Even when you're busy, like you're not a bar, you're a tasting room. Like even when you're busy, even when it's hard, is just getting that difference in glassware and showing people that you you care about it, right? A steak still tastes like a steak in a dog bowl, but it tastes better when it's, you know, properly presented on a plate with some garnish and some flair to it and a little cup of sauce next to it, right? Like it tastes better that way than just being served to you. Um, As far as the lucre faucet goes, you know, for me, we had a pretty uh, bad experience at um, the place that we were at before, Bierstadt, and we had these wonderful, beautiful chili faucets, and those Shelly faucets are rad, they're Italian, they'll pour pure foam, they'll pour anything, it's, it's actually incredible. But I hate that place, and so I wanted to do something cooler and better. So I set up on a on a one-person band to try and find a better faucet than that, a cooler faucet than that, and something that was, I, I poured beer as well, right? So, I kind of just like went down the internet hole. I ended up on this website of this bar in New York City that was a Pilsner Cal bar that has since closed. And I ended up calling and getting a hold of the GM. And he told me about where to find these faucets. And this was two years before, three years before Bierstadt opened. Uh, and I saw these faucets and I was like, these are rad. And the way that they're all lined up on on this like amazing draft standard with the side pull. Like, it's just, I mean, they're just, they're incredible, right? Like, are they not striking like the big faucet? Like, it's just amazing. They're just beautiful looking. And I was like, I want those, I don't care. And so honestly, we just found, that guy gave me, you know, those are actual pills that are faucets, but they're made by Luker, uh, found them in the Czech Republic. And literally when we found them, we sent money to like a dude, for four draft towers and 24 faucets and hoped that we were going to get them. It was, it was literally as simple as that. I just wanted something cooler. Like, I'm not out of tricks. I know something better. I can find something better. And that's literally how it started is just wanting to outdo my old self, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. So so like, that's so cool, man. I, I've heard this story before, obviously, and we've talked about it extensively because like, like it's, it's really... Like I'm not trying to gloss over that statement the point that I was making that like you literally started the lucre like craze that is the United States, like like single handedly arguably the reason why every brewer has them now, and every brewer is born from them now. Now, that doesn't mean that every brewer knows what they're doing with them. It doesn't mean that every brewer understands why they're poured that way, and it is fascinating to me that like admittedly, like a part of the lucre sort of explosion that's happened which has been i think beautiful for craft beer i think it's been amazing for beer as a whole i think it's arguably one of the more important things that has happened to american craft beer in the last decade and part of that's because of we're always as 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 brewers and and business owners and 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 you know front of house staff trying to figure out how we can engage with the consumer, how we can frankly trick them sometimes into having a more deeper conversation about what we're doing and why we're doing it and why we find that important or interesting or why they should care about it. And something as simple as this gorgeous gooseneck faucet thing on the wall starts that conversation for us more often than anybody I think really gives it credit for. And and I think that has been a catalyst for education in a way that it's hard for me to overstate, like, I have a hard time saying that, like, we would be where we are in our discussions about lager, whether it be German or Czech beers, and all the stuff we've learned since then, if it were not for me, or all these breweries in the country walking into your bar and seeing them on the wall. And it's fascinating, because they are gorgeous. It is fascinating to me that a big reason why those became that and those are this important is like sort of out of spite.
2: <laughs> uh yeah, definitely out of spite for sure. <laughs> I mean, um it, it definitely I mean honestly it does boil a little bit down to that. I mean, it is a a conversation starter, but it is something like we have nitro faucets, right? Or or whatever. Like I think that anytime you start just caring about that part of it. I mean, it's amazing to me all the things that we do, right? You're sourcing ingredients, you're putting together a recipe, you're trying to figure out what malt, you know, gives you the right character and all these things. And then when it comes to serving it, especially here in the United States, right, it's on a disgusting brass faucet that's leaching, you know, that into the beer, you know, over time. Uh, and so just to take care that little bit, it just is one more step of thinking about the process from start to finish and, you know, finishing it with the glassware, because honestly, that's where you can kind of fall down at the finish line, right? You have your packaging people, they can screw up the beer more than your people on the brew house. Like the closer you get to service, is the more you can ruin it and the more you can uplift it too right if you package it really really well like that beer can be better because of that the consumer experience can be better because of that again when you're pouring off of any faucet and just caring about it a little bit more that that gives a different consumer experience than the, than the other thing even if they don't really can't understand what that is
0: yeah completely agree completely agree and you know like to that point you know love it or hate it we are here now with a far more um, far more accessible uh, understanding of pouring some of these beers that otherwise we easily took for granted as a thing that we were constantly, you know, uh, in abundance of. Um, speaking of those faucets being so beautiful, you have like one of the most beautiful brew houses in the country as well. It just um, got
2: sexier too, you know.
0: Oh, I know. I saw the pictures actually. and I'm It just like, got way, weird.
2: it's it's just pure sex now. Like the whole thing is just so hot. Like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> well, I
0: remember you. When you were in Orlando a few weeks ago and you were saying that you're like, yo, we're tiling it. It's happening. Like paid for it's going, it's going down. I was like, Oh, I can't wait to see that. And then I saw the pictures that you posted online And yeah, I was just like, man, I can't wait to go see this again. It's already, like, it is, it is, it was already a gorgeous brew house. And so recently Ashley, uh, had, uh, tiled around the brew house. She's this copper system from the thirties, uh, that she got in Germany. Steinecker system, correct? Hotman. Hotman. That's right. Steinecker was the last one that you, that you brewed on. Sorry. You bring all these awesome old, old brew houses. Uh, and so, uh, this Hutman system, and so she has like now tile sort of skirts around the brew house. Um, it being obviously not just aesthetically, you know, just dominant, I think in the brewing world. Um, why was that so important to you? Why was it so important to you that you use an authentic brew house that you went through the trouble of doing that, that you didn't just have engineered something to your specs the way you want it from anyone that you possibly could have? Um, you know, and, and obviously it, it, and there's some modernity to your brew house. You know you have an external calandria, and there's obviously some more, sorry, I got email. Uh, there are some more, um, uh, you know, modern sort of things that are on it, you know, which in all, even older brew houses like that now in Germany, like that's the case there's, you know, underneath that curtain, there's so obviously some, some more modern things going on. Is there anything on there that you, sort of wish you had as well um you know I guess starting with why you did it and then sort of what it is and and, and having brewed on it now how you feel about it yeah it's
2: from 1932 um to be honest with you it is just made to make those beers like it is just it wants to make those beers I mean it hates anything above 16 play-doh it hates everything above 14 play-doh really to be fair like it, that that place's money spot is a 12 Plato, you know, all malt beer, like it absolutely just crushes that. I'm not sure like I know you can like engineer things to be the way you want to, you know, especially with enough money. Um I'm not sure that you can necessarily do what that brew house does for the co- for the cost that we got it for honestly. Um and uh, honestly it's it's really awesome to make beer I'm, I'm not going to like pull myself away from like how cool it is. Like it, there's so much history in there. It was built in 1932 pre World War II, you know, all, all of these things like it's it's gorgeous. I mean that copper too does some things for yeast. Um reducing sulfur and things like that the yeast nutrient naturally. And it just is meant to make those kind of beers. It was set up for decoction automatically, right? The radius of the lauder makes it so, you know, the malt Uh, bed isn't really it's not even 18 inches right like everything about that system was made to do what it was supposed to do and so you know for us like we have some modern things that we've tied to it of course an external calandria instead of direct fire uh we have you know a couple different pumps and stuff like that that we've added to it but the system itself is essentially set up the exact same way it was uh, with where we got it from and so you know, I, I really like making beer on it. There's just something about, you know, all those things kind of tied together and I do love the way it looks. And now that it has, it's like really sexy skirts on it. Um, it's even cooler, I guess. Uh, but it mm-hmm. makes, it makes great beer, man. It, it it makes beer. I mean, again, they've updated the the plates on the Lauderton. So it's no longer, you know, brass. It's actually still cast iron tun though, which people are amazed that it's uh cast iron Lauderton and a copper kettle. But And I was freaked out by it at first, but now making beer on it for so long, I think it makes really consistent, uh, great beer um, from start to finish. And, you know, of course, a lot of the work is done on the cellar side, but from a brew house perspective, I, I don't know that there's anything I could really change about the way that it's set up
0: yeah I was actually gonna bring up the cast iron there in a minute because you know and i remember that being fascinating when you told me that uh and and back then when you when you told me when you when you were getting it and you were just opening i re- i remember being sort of blown away by that um and i guess fast forwarding to now um obviously number one being the fact that the 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 depth of your ladder ton allowing you to do things with a thinner mash to make, you know, you can have a ton of water and liquid in there without it being compacting. Um, I finally, literally last week, we just did our first four to one successfully. Um, We finally figured it out after like two years of decocting and trying to figure it out. And now that our system is so dialed in, we tried it and we successfully did it. So we're going to play around with that sort of thinner mash now uh, on our brew house. But so you have that. And I remember you know what's fascinating about 1932, right? Like to your point, like pre World War II, like a lot of these brewhouses didn't survive that. You know, most of them didn't. Um, and actually, when I was in the Czech Republic, I was at Ferdinand, and they have a full cast iron brewhouse, which I was it, I hadn't seen that since I had seen your brew house and then it reminded me of that. And I talked to them about it, and they were like, "Yeah, well, the Nazis came in and they ripped all of our copper out and turned them all into bullets." Yeah, they just came in and ripped our brew house out. Like our business was just here and it was gone. So the only thing they can do is put cast iron in. And they had been brewing with cast iron basically since World War II. Um, And yeah, and I was like, well, and people around were like, no way. Like that can't work. I was like, well, actually it does. Like (laughs) actually at beer shots has a ladder tone that's cast iron. It was the only place I'd seen that before. But that's what uh, that reminded me of, which I thought was so fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's surprising that it survived that long. It's surprising that it wasn't scrapped into bullets during that time, you know? Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a really cool piece of piece of history and uh, she's she's working great, you know, just letting her be. Anyway, yeah, she, could, le- she leaks a little here and there, but oh well.
0: Yeah. I, I, could, I could easily say it was it's one of the coolest brew houses that I've ever brewed on, uh, just being there with you guys. Um, it's it's so rad. Uh, so it's obviously very established that you like loggers. We We know that. Um, what other German style beers, you know, are out there that you know you love or that maybe you're interested in brewing, or are you not and why? You know, I'm thinking about stuff like Kolsch or Altbeer, Goza, uh Weiss beer, which I know you and I have talked quite a bit about Weiss beer, um, and and even maybe like Vienna Lager. Like what what do you feel about those beers? And um, you know do you plan on making them or, or why don't you If not
2: uh so i've made Vienna lager before uh, the only beer really I, I haven't made schwarz beer um there's a couple of beers i haven't made uh as far as like the ale side or whatever i am just not really interested in making those uh, i think hefeweizen for example vice beer i used to make a lot of ice beer and the thing that strikes me about Weissbeer, it's it, it's kind of amazing. It gets kind of lumped into like, if you're a German salber, you make both these things. Because honestly, the techniques for that are nothing like the techniques for making lager. Um, and that thing, you can do it over and over and over and over again, but uh, and not have it turn out the same way. And the thing about Weissbeer to me is that it can be utterly transcendent and delicious or kind of gross me out. Like, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's all the yeast. I don't, I don't know. I just get a little, like if it's not good, I just, I don't know. I get an uneasy feeling about it, you know, kind of baloney kind of weird sulfur, um, stuff like that. So, you know, for me, like I didn't love making vice beer, you know, if there's a plan in the future, uh, that we got an opportunity to open another brewery, I would make a hundred percent vice beer brewery and just completely focus on that because I think it's entirely different than making lager. Um, as far as alt beer and colas are concerned, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to go to Dusseldorf or Cologne yet. Um, it is one of the beer experiences that I haven't gotten to have yet, which is I'm um, hopefully next year in the spring. Well, I'll get to do that because I hear it's it is one of those transcendent experiences. Uh, but honestly, I'll just make those as collabs somewhere else. I don't really feel the need to do it at my place. And even though it would be a quicker turnaround, uh, that's not really what I want to get into at our place. I mean, the worst thing that could happen to me, honestly, is that Kolsch becomes popular or Altbear becomes popular at my place. And then I feel the need to make more of that than the thing I really love making. So I just rather not, I guess. Uh, I make a colch every year with a brewery called Westbound and down, which is awesome. Made it for like seven years now. Uh, I made them filter it, which is kind of funny. They don't filter anything. We actually log a plate and frame up there every year to filter this beer. Um, but I don't really feel the need to make those beers. And I do like drinking them and I like seeing the different expressions of them. And I want to see, I will really want to have the experience firsthand, but I just don't want to make them. There you go. Simple as that. Uh, again, I would make Vienna lager or whatever. It's, uh, if it's a lager, yeah, I'll try making it at my place for the most part.
0: Cool. No, I, I completely get it. Um, and obviously we talked about vice beer so many times, cause I, you know, I, I said this many times to other people as well, that it's, it is like, I mean, it's arguably the hardest style of beer I feel like that I've ever tried to make. And and I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people who maybe find vice beer to be arguably ubiquitous, or, you know, easy, it's around, you know, a lot of brews make Hefeweizen or or vice beers in. Um, and of course, my answer is like, yeah, but how great are they? Um, because like making them that often is a nightmare that beer, like you can do the exact same thing, one time, and it comes out amazing, you do the exact same thing the next time, and it's completely different. And generation to generation, that yeast doesn't really make sense at all. Like gen one's like really the only good one. And even then that can be ridiculous. And, you know, it's like literally a conversation that I've had multiple times, even recently with like my sales team, because I've had a few vice beers on recently. like, It's so good, we should just do this. Like, let's it out in the market. I'm like, you don't understand like how difficult that is. And of course, then like literally what happened was, is I got a spreadsheet that was like, put in the cost for this thing, like how much it costs to make. And then we'll assess and come up with like, you know, how much it would cost for us to, or how much we would be able to sell it for like FOB to the wholesaler. I said, okay. So I like entered it, but I entered it with like an understanding that I'm using Gen 1 yeast to hold. And so they were like, why is this so expensive? And I was like, because it's the only, I told you guys how difficult of a beer this is. Like I'd already prepped you and told you. So that's like what it would take. And they're like, well, how do people do it? I'm like, well, they either A, make them inconsistently, which that's on the table. If this is what we're talking about doing, because that's how it's going to have to be. Or B, you make so much of it that you have so much that you can blend to make the exact sort of profile that you want on the back end. Like Those are like your options. And then, everyone, and then everyone's like, oh, I get it now. That's why it's so hard. I'm like, yeah, man, like... That I'm, always
2: amazed that, I'm always amazed that Live Oak can make as much as they do. And they use, you know, second generation yeast. like that. But every time I have it, it's really good and consistent. I just, I don't have that, you know? And I think maybe you have to make a just a boatload of it to, to even get close i agree because i'm not sure i i just don't like again like that inconsistency is was really difficult for me the runoffs you know at the place i was before we had like six hour runoffs for that beer oh. like i love brewing and i love taking a long time to do it but ain't nobody got time for that <laughs> yeah,
0: but, not, but, but not because you don't want to like you don't want to do yeah, it yeah exactly it. like you know for no reason all right well um, know, five
2: hour decoctions are fine but like <laughs> Running off for that time, like, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, I'll okay. make a
0: thirty-five Plato beer after I make this double the at Oktoberfest, but I'll. Uh, <laughs> but you can keep your damn vice beer. Um, so uh, the last thing I kind of want to ask you before we wrap things up here is, you know, uh, we brewed a few collaborations together. Um, we brewed a vice and Bach, ironically, a vice beer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Um, we brewed a smoked Hellas, and then we brewed a smoked Marxen, which we're currently drinking. Spark.
2: Yeah, we're uh, both drinking it.
0: Yeah, drinking it up. Uh, I'm super super proud of all three of these beers Um, and obviously always excited to brew with you. So I guess what I'm going to do now is open this up for us to talk about uh, briefly for everyone else to hear. So like what's next for us? Because we talked about brewing another beer soon. I'm sure we'll just continue to do that. Um, And then we'll have to incorporate what Bill like really, really wants to make as well. Because I know he's chipping away at you a little bit on on an idea.
2: Yeah. um, Excuse me. Uh, you know, we're going to obviously continue to make beer together. I'm, uh, I don't know if you know this. I don't really make that many beers with that many people. Um, and all the beers we've made together are super rad. I'm super excited about it. It's my turn to host again, I suppose. Uh, what is it? Check, check 11. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, so <laughs> you want to make, I mean, that's fine. I'm I'm excited about it. I'll let it happen, but I got to drag them along a little bit.
0: Yeah, because I'm pretty sure, like, because, you know, I make a 12 degree, and then we we're talking about making an 11 degree uh, check logger, and then we immediately went to another brewery, and they had an 11 degree, so he's like, fuck it, we're making an 11 and a half,
2: and I was like. Yeah, I- exactly, <laughs> I guess I better get really good and dialed in, I uh, <laughs> should be able to do it, um, you know, always those single batches are kind of nerve-wracking, you're like, okay, do I have everything set, uh, but do you use some of that Raven malt, which is under modified, do a triple decoction, I like this it sounds super rad. I'm very excited to go ahead and, and do that. You know uh, obviously making beer with you is exceptional because we put all the things that we know. And I think about making collaborations. That I think people forget sometimes is in their best form, they are awesome, right? Like you learn some stuff, you eat tamales, you drink beer, you talk about beer, you learn about beer and you kind of like meld these two things together. And that's the best part about collaboration when it's, when it's done properly. Um, on its other side, you know, it can be used as just a purely marketing tool. And I, you know, never really want it to be that way. Um, but always making beer with you and making a couple smoke smoked beers uh, and doing this. I think it's going to be like super fun. Like I'm excited. I My mean, new tanks are supposedly going to show up. I don't know. They were supposed to show up on July 5th, uh, which it's not July 5th um, anymore. Allegedly they're supposed to ship yesterday, but I just got a text message saying they're going to call us about something. Uh, so, you know, uh, Bill's outside right now, actually talking to them. So hopefully it's not all, all screwed up. Um, hopefully they'll show up at some point and then I'll have a little more flexibility to make a couple more seasonals and collaborations and things like that. Maybe make a double batch of it, but yeah, I'm very excited about making that. And like I said, I got to string him along a little bit longer, but yeah, we'll do it for sure.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love, um, I love how he feels like, you know, you, you do a good job of making Bill do like kind of feel like he's sort of in control of that chipping away, And you're like, dude, I'm just going to let you keep thinking that until, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's good. So we got a check 11 and a half coming at some point. Um, yep. I'm excited about it. Like you said, triple decoction, check beer. Um, you, Like you mentioned Raven malt. This is from Morivia, from the Czech Republic, and uh, it's going to be rad. Um, So, yeah, thank you, Ashley, so much for spending time with me.
2: No, thank you. It's sad that we're not drinking just beer together. We got to a couple weeks ago, though, so that was cool. Hopefully we'll see you soon and, you know, get to talk more shit and drink more beer.
0: Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. All right. Well, that's it with Ashley. Uh, She will be back on the next episode um, having a host of her own in a conversation uh, I'm sorry, she'll be hosting herself uh, with a conversation with a brewer of um That'll be on in about two weeks or so. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media and to support journalism in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Chris Johnson of Green Bench Brewing Company. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. See
1: you next time. Cheers. This episode was brought to you by First Tea. First Tea delivers the ingredients and experience brewers need for delicious beers and innovative flavors, flexible order sizes, and direct from farm teas for your next brew. Find out more about First Tea by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsdtea.com.